Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. And today is the day we're tackling one of the small and mighty game changers, the kitchen. No, we're not debating kitchen islands versus galley, though apparently this is a hot topic. We are going to be sharing our best guidance and strategies for creating a culinary nutrition charged kitchen. We'll be covering why it's so important to create a space you want to be in, how to best organize your tools for easy use, the kitchen swap that could change your life, how to reduce food waste and food costs, and why this is such a critical part of health. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for this fun and aesthetically pleasing conversation on setting your kitchen up for healthy cooking and healthy eating success. I'm Megan Teltner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Joining me as always is Josh Catalis, who is best known for following me around the kitchen with a sponge as I torrent my way through it. Very true. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Yes, you are. All true as well. I have a passion for many things, perusing real estate listings on the regular, macrame, and organizing jars of dry goods. Not only organizing jars of dry goods, but organizing spaces. And you did a really good job of our kitchen. I know. And I love that every time you empty the dishwasher, you remind me of this. You're always like, this kitchen is so well designed because you don't really have to go that far to put everything away. Well, it does take up about a third of our main floor. Yes. And we do spend about two thirds of our time in it. And we spend a lot of time experimenting, creating, eating, and just working in what I call the nutrition lab. So it plays a big role and I'm constantly appreciating what it has to offer. For us, we consider a day in the kitchen as a day well spent. And you're also really good at doing the dishes. Like you spend a lot of your time while we're in the kitchen doing the dishes well of our strengths. And unfortunately, or fortunately for me, cleaning up is not one of mine. I just get into the zone and I just want to create, create, create. And then next thing I know, I've opened every cupboard, opened every jar, used every dish and utensil. And that's what we're left with. That's true. Megan's the Tasmanian devil of the kitchen for sure. <laughs> I follow closely behind her to clean things up. Well, you know, there's a lot of simple things that everyone can do to make a kitchen easier to work in, more efficient, and most importantly, a more enjoyable place to be. So Megan, are you ready to dive in and get this started? You betcha I am. Here's where everybody needs to start. And we do this, I'd say every couple of months when we sort of reach this critical point, but you have to start by clearing the clutter. You have to get things out of your psychic space and out of your drawers and cupboards and and the stuff that's just clutter that you don't need. So the first step is to know what you have. And that might mean opening everything up, taking everything out, and looking at each piece and deciding, do I use this? Do I not use it? What do we need? And what are we no longer needing or no longer serves us? And then we want to determine what the things are 
that we use the most or that we want to use the most. No one's going to use that juicer when it's like way at the back of the drawer and you have to pull out a food processor and a mix master. They still call them mix masters. I think so. When you pull all this stuff to use these things, you're never going to use them. That becomes a barrier. Now, Megan, I don't know if you noticed, but I just actually did a little clean out. You did? So we just transitioned our three and a half year old to going from like wooden utensils and plates to all of the same plates we're using. And I cleared out all the wooden spoons and all the old utensils we don't use anymore. Did you notice? You know what? I I subconsciously noticed that all the spoons were gone, but then I'm like, where did I put them? I thought (laughs) that I just like... Typical. (laughs) (laughs) So we also need to make a list of things you want to replace. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about getting new appliances. I'm talking about swaps as well. So I think it's been about 13 years, maybe 14 years since I've used a microwave. Yes. Yeah. It might be mind blowing for some people because you get pretty, you know, used to using one. It's interesting because houses now, kitchens are designed to have a microwave built into them. For sure. Imagine if the paradigm Mm-hmm. was not to have a microwave there because your oven or stovetop can basically do the exact same thing. But there was a built-in spot for a blender and a juicer. Like the, that was the new built-in in your kitchen. What would that do for people? You know, one of the questions on my intake form for my clients is, do you have a juicer? And a lot of people actually say yes. And then my next question is, where is that juicer? And usually the answer is in the deepest, darkest cupboard. Right. But there's always room on the counter for a giant fancy coffee maker. There is. But paradigm shift alert. What if if everyone took their coffee maker or their coffee machine and replaced that with a juicer? And instead of having coffee every morning, you had a glass of fresh juice. I love how people talk about, but it's the ritual of the coffee. You know what else is a ritual? Prepping your vegetables on the weekend. Mm -hmm. And then they're ready to just fly through your juicer. Mm -hmm. You get a fresh, refreshing glass of juice. You sip that. And you can, you know, the smell of juice is also something that can rewire synapses in your brain. When you get accustomed to that being something that fuels you on a cellular level. In my culinary nutrition expert program, we have a whole module on on smoothies and juices, juices, smoothies and juices. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) And I describe it in that video and I describe it in life that when I have that fresh glass of pressed juice, that my cells, I'm going to move back from the microphone for a minute, are basically doing this. Like they are dancing this Mm -hmm. vibrant dance. And this can happen just by reorganizing the small appliances that you keep visible that stay in your psychic space in your kitchen. You'll be reminded every single day to use it. Absolutely. And just to throw a little science at you right here. Give me the science, Josh. (laughs) Food, fruits and vegetables, is one of the best ways to get potassium. And potassium is necessary to keep our immune system healthy. In fact, most of the potassium is in our cells. And it's critical that we have most of it in the cells. And if we have a ratio of sodium to potassium that's too high, then it doesn't allow our cells to pump out the toxins and bring in the nutrients. So juicing is a fantastic way to get that potassium that you need to keep your immune system and inflammation 
on the down low. Can I, or on the up high as the case may be? Immune on the up high, inflammation on the down low. <laughs> yeah, modulation. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to throw something else back at you. We're now playing a game of ping pong tips. I'm ready to catch. Well, in line with that, like juices and smoothies, we know support our immune health. Putting the right ingredients in brings down inflammation. But instead, what we're prioritizing in most kitchens is the coffee machine, which accelerates adrenaline release, cortisol release, creates that chronic stress response, elevates inflammation, and suppresses the immune system. Instead of taking the time to cook a meal, we're throwing things into the microwave. And what do they call it? Zapping it? Mm-hmm. They call it zapping? Yeah. Zipping, zapping? I'm, I'm all about the sound effects. So instead, you're getting these like quick, convenient type meals, not taking the time to sit, to rest, to digest, the cephalic phase of digestion. And we're missing that whole component just by how we've organized some of those appliances in our kitchen. Interesting point, Megan. Thank you, Josh. The research really isn't there to the level that we'd like regarding microwaves and what it does to our food. But we know that there's some information about how it denatures the proteins. Yeah. And just thinking about how we're cooking that food, right? We're, We're... shaking up the water molecules really fast and using microwaves, a very unnatural process that's never been used in human history. So when there's things that have never been used in human history, then I get a little bit worried. Yeah. We won't go any deeper into into that thought, I don't think. I mean, that's a whole other (laughs) season of podcasts. (laughs) But you know what's interesting is that if you start making it easy to access the things that you want to be using most often you're going to start using them most often. So what could be the life-changing benefit of replacing that, you know, that little cupboard that holds your microwave, getting rid of that and putting in maybe some music speakers and a juicer. Love it. So then now your kitchen has just stepped up. It's your, Your kitchen itself has created its own new set point of a space where you want to play music, you want to feel good in it, you want to juice, you want to do these things that we all inherently know support our health. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Josh and Megan, there's absolutely no way I'm giving up my coffee maker. This is a ridiculous idea. And you know what? I didn't say replace the coffee maker. I said microwave, but go on. Yeah. But don't believe us. Try it for one month. Take out your coffee maker. Don't use your microwave. Use your juicer every day and just see how you feel. You know, recently there's been this fad related to celery juicing. Have you heard of it, Megan? I have. I've written about it. Yes. And I think it it caught on because it's a simple thing, right? You just have to think about one thing. You can experience it. There's a flavor to it. It's a perfect thing for a fad. But my take on it, and I think you agree, is that If you juiced anything and drank it every single morning, like a liter of it, you would feel amazing and there'd be a lot of amazing results. So get that juicer out, put it on the counter and just try it for one month. See how you feel. What's your next tip for making the kitchen a culinary nutrition sacred space? We just need to reorganize things. Yes. Um, You know, pull everything out every few months or even less. I, I mean, I do this on a regular basis, even though we use our kitchen all the time. It's one of my favorite things to do. It is one of his favorite things to do. I call him Danny Tanner for several reasons. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, figure out where everything should go to uh, best suit you. You know, look at the dates of things, look at expiries, make sure you don't have, you know, spices or herbs in the 
dark corner of your cupboard that you haven't used for 10 years and update everything, get rid of the old stuff and figure out what you need to really keep everything fresh and ready to use. I just pulled a lemongrass. I don't even know what it was. I don't know who bought it. I don't know why. The expiry on it was 2014. Wow. Which means it was probably made in around 2012 as a shelf-stable item. And that also shows that we have moved it potentially once or twice until we got here. So looking at the dates of things and those spices, and this is one of the first things that my culinary nutrition experts do when we start our program, is they go through and they clean out their pantries. And herbs and spices, you know, you open that old jar of parsley flakes, if it smells like nothing, it's not going to magically turn into something and refresh itself when you actually use it. So you guaranteed have things in your cupboard that are so ancient, you're never going to use or just won't add anything and could possibly detract from whatever it is you're making. So keep it fresh and only restock with the things that you need. You don't need every spice in the shop just because it's there. You naturally will use certain ones more than others. And those are the ones you want to keep in your home pantry. Right. Like we get cinnamon in pretty large amounts. We do. And turmeric. And turmeric. But we also store them in the freezer. We do. That's a great tip right there, Meg. Yes. (laughs) Thanks, Josh. (laughs) As you're sitting next to our little tiny chest freezer that we keep where we currently have a massive bag of basil. Yeah. We have just a big Ziploc bag, basically, with all the spices in there. So it's also really easily accessible. And every time we pull that out, we go and assess all of our spices and which ones need updating, which ones need refilling. So to clarify, we've got all the spices we use on the regular out. So we'll use them because there's more to cooking than salt and pepper. But then to replenish them, we have our extras stored in a Ziploc in the freezer. Now, That brings me to another key point, which is to know what's in your freezer. So a lot of us have stacks and stacks of food, whether it's little bits of, I call them bits and bobs of things that you didn't finish, you know, little bits of tomato paste, applesauce, but you also might have full meals that you don't even know are there or don't remember. So a good practice is to every couple months, empty your freezer, know what you have, eat some of the stuff up that you've batch prepped. And when you are putting new things in, label them and label them with the date in which they're going in. Because yes, a freezer can preserve food for a long time, but you really don't want to eat food that's been in the freezer for six months, a year. It's just, it gets frosty, freezer burn, loses its taste. And it's just kind of gross. And it's taking up valuable space for more recent things you want to keep stored in there. Now, you said two things that stimulated a thought in my brain, which Ooh. I want to ask if I can bring up. Okay. You said bits and bobs and freezer, and that reminded me of your mom. Okay. Can we mention what she does? Yeah, my mom, Patsy, <laughs> shout out to my mom, Patsy, is amazing. And she's got her things. Yes, she's she got does. her things she does that we make fun of and then kind of start doing. Yes. And this is one of them. Yeah, so when a fruit or even sometimes a vegetable is close to the end of its life, instead of throwing it out, she just stops its life in suspended animation, (laughs) (laughs) chops it up into pieces or puts it in a bag and freezes all of it and then uses it as smoothie bits. Yeah. So say you have like a bushel of grapes and... They're called bushels? I don't know. They're not called bushels. (laughs) (laughs) What are they called? I don't know. Tell us. If you guys know what a... A stack? It's not a stack. A chandelier? String? Grapes? 
I don't know. Anyway, and, you know, there's like, I don't know, a couple handfuls left and they're not going to be eaten. And maybe they're just on the verge of not being good. They go in the freezer. They go in the freezer. Suspended animation. So and even even she makes ginger tea sometimes, right? This is the questionable one in my <laughs> this opinion. Is <laughs> so she uses ginger tea and then she takes the those ginger root cubes or pieces and puts them in the freezer and uses them in smoothies. So you get the fiber, but maybe all the medicinal parts. You just get some ginger vibes yeah. to whatever you're making. But this is like a really great way to reduce food waste and have something in the freezer. So like a, a smoothie is the fastest food. Like if you have the ingredients you need and this, and it doesn't just have to be fruit. You can throw in spinach, kale, herbs. You know, I do purees of parsley and cilantro, which I feel is like the most common thing to go rotten when you buy it and don't process it right away. Freeze that into ice cube trays and be able to throw that into the smoothie. So you can use your freezer, not just as a place to store old food or, you know, when you buy chicken or meat or something like that that has to be frozen, but you can use your freezer as a tool to enhance your daily health habits by getting into the practices of having these things like frozen greens, frozen fruits on hand so that in a pinch, instead of throwing a frozen dinner into the microwave, you throw this into the blender and you get a full-bodied, full-meal type smoothie available. Side thought I just had to. Oh, another side summer, thought. We You're had getting a, into the, the role of it now. Yeah, we had a massive watermelon, which was just really mealy. It just wasn't edible. Everyone yeah. knows what that tastes like. It's just kind of gross. You don't want to bite through that. So what we did is we took it and we put it in the blender, really easily blended. Seeds and all. Seeds have are really high in magnesium. And we froze those as cubes. Yes. And then we put those in the freezer. So that's another really great thing you can do if you have extra fruit available or it's just not that delicious to eat. We are going to take a quick break so you can meet a very special person. Every so often, a student comes through the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program who, out of the gate, is a star of the community. And Esther is just such a student. This mom of two joined our online program from Westchester, New York, and has been an ongoing cheerleader in our community. I'm thrilled for you to get to meet Esther. Here she is. Hi, I'm Esther Bond, and I graduated in 2020 from the Academy of Culinary Nutrition Program. As a health coach and foodie, I wanted to broaden my practice and my own skills to be an effective teacher and nutritional professional. And this program helped me to do just that and more. This program taught me so much, how to develop recipes, cook in different health-supporting styles, how to lay out meal plans for specific individual needs, and quality research. Today, I'm teaching cooking workshops as a certified instructor and developing meal plans for my clients. I also go back to the delicious recipes we cook throughout the course for my family and friends to enjoy. I'm so grateful for Megan and her staff for being supportive throughout the program and the continuous support and inspiration for the alumni group. That's been invaluable to me as I continue on this amazing journey. All the links to Esther's website and socials can be found on our blog at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Just click on this episode. Our student and alumni community is absolutely one of a kind. This is not just cliche fluff here. I'm serious. Their kindness, openness, support of each other, and readiness to share resources and experiences is absolutely remarkable. And of course, we'd all love nothing more than to welcome you into the fold. Learn more about how the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program could positively impact your health and meet some of our grads over at culinarynutrition.com forward slash program. Now, let's return to today's conversation. 
So one of the key things about keeping your kitchen super organized is that you end up with less food waste because you know what you have. It's easy to work with it. It's easy to work in your kitchen. And we talk a lot about meal prep in some of our other episodes, so we're not going to get too far into that right now. But some of the nitty gritty things that we do in our kitchen that change the way we work, because all of this is about making it easy and pleasurable. And when things are cluttered, when you can't find them, there's a natural resistance that happens, that it becomes a chore, it becomes sluggish, it becomes a nuisance. There's aggravations and it's this excess stress that you may not even process because it's just difficult to make your way through it. So one of the things we love doing, and this is also to reduce waste, is we buy in bulk. So our nuts, our seeds, our grains, those kinds of things, we'll buy in, say, five-pound bulk bags, and we can reuse those Ziplocs when we need to freeze those watermelon ice cubes. We buy these things in bulk and transfer them to large glass jars. And one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they try and put all of their jars into shelves, and then you have nested jars. So you have stuff behind stuff behind stuff, and then you forget what you have. Have a kitchen set up where it's going on shelves, put taller jars in the front, shorter jars on the bottom. What we love doing is using our drawers for these kinds of things. And instead of labeling the side, we label the tops. So we have a smoothie drawer, which is all the things we love putting in smoothies, and we've labeled the tops. If you're doing it in a cabinet, where they are nested one in front of the other, try and find a way to label them so you can see the labels at a glance. So you're not having to, you know, sort through and wade through and find everything. The other thing is if you find that you have a few different bags of brown rice or a few different bags of bits of things, see if you can amalgamate and that's a big part of knowing what you have. So you don't end up buying something before you've used up something else. And so if you can amalgamate and organize, and you know, I'm a big fan of the Mason jars, the Weck jars, those are two brands I love. And you put very clear labels on them. I use painter's tape, so it's nothing fancy or overly pretty, but I use painter's tape with some permanent marker. And why I like the painter's tape is because it's easy to peel off. When you finish that jar, you can run it through the wash, reuse the same sticker or the same piece of tape, or just create a new one. But that makes it really easy to do. And the other thing is start putting things back where you got it from. Mm. And I think this is one of our challenges sometimes that I think logically where something should go and you think with a different set of logic strings where something should go. And then I'm like, what drawer is this in? Does this go with baking or does it go with flowers or does it go with grains? And But having a system to where you put things back. And we've learned this too from our son. He's in Montessori. And a key thing with the Montessori is to have a process to take one thing out and put it back where you got it from. And that's going to be really important for maintaining a level of organization in your kitchen. What's an example of something that you think should go somewhere and I think it should go in a different place? Oh, I would say, let's say coconut sugar. Coconut sugar. Baking. Right. But I always put it with our flowers Uh because I use a tablespoon when I make my sourdough bread. Mm -hmm. And I think you always put it on the step above that has like some of the spices and chocolate chunks and those kinds of things. Yeah, maybe. Why would you have another example in mind? Um, No, I thought we were quite on the same page. Like our Venn diagrams of ingredient placement, I think are pretty lined up there. It's like one circle. We have a heaven. There, there's there's no, no bumps. The, the, the magic is everywhere. <laughs> you know, like you're here and challenge yeah. is there and this is where the magic happens. But you know what? It's taken us a while to get there. I know. It has. <laughs> We're there now. Many years, 12 Cohabitation. years. 12 years. Okay. So let's talk about these favorite kitchen tools. I think these are what we call 
force multipliers. Like you got to invest in them once and yeah. some are expensive and some are not, but they make everything easier and more enjoyable. And the first one is a good blender. Yes. Now I'm going to go right out there and say it. We've tried many blenders. Our favorite blender is the Vitamix. Yeah. There's often a close race between the Vitamix and the Blendtec. And the Blendtec just doesn't do everything the Vitamix does. So it has like the spinner mechanism for making sauces and ice creams. But the Vitamix with its tamper yeah. gives you way more versatility in what you can do, I believe. Yeah. And, and I, yes, the Vitamix just came out with a stainless steel container, which is like a game changer right. for us as well. Right. So we're big fans of the Vitamix. But all in all, the best blender to use is the one that you have. Keep it accessible and use it. And if you're looking for an upgrade... Well, now you know the one that we recommend as the upgrade. Yes, that's a good point, Megan, as well. I mean, we love the Vitamix, but there's a lot of great blenders out there. And there's some really good, powerful ones too. Yeah, I feel like I've been sent, like not exaggerating, maybe six or seven different blenders over my time in this field. And even with, you know, the free stuff, I, I have my favorite. Yeah, and the thing is too, it's one of those, when you buy a really good blender, it lasts a long time. Yeah. And it stands this test of time. So going from a little bit more on the expensive side to on the really inexpensive this side. This is what? under 10 bucks. Yeah. It is called the Super Peeler, and it is a super peeler. You don't know how important a peeler is until you get a really, really good one, whether it's peeling carrots, peeling the skin off butternut squash before cooking it, which makes it so much easier. Peeling is an important part of cooking. And now I'm not one of those chefs that's going to take a paring knife and peel my apple or my potatoes and make that long curly cue of potato skin. But if, you know, if you do do that, keep that skin and put it in your broth. But the super peeler, I think it's like eight or nine dollars. It's a stainless steel peeler. It's like self-sharpening. I don't even know how that works. So fun story about this peeler is when we were dating, well, I don't even think we were dating yet. I was trying to get you to date me. And somehow this peeler came up in conversation, like you'd had one and lost it or your mom had had one and it broke or I don't know. But I bought you both a super peeler, mostly for your mom. Is that how you convinced my mom that you had really good appeal? <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> oh dear. Grandpa jokes. I had, to. Again. I had to. Is this a comedy podcast or a health podcast? I sometimes get confused. Nobody is confused right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Josh, you are the tea making master. Okay, this is my domain. Next on the list is a stainless steel kettle. So there's two options. You can get an electrical one, which plugs into the wall and it goes pretty quickly. You don't have to think about it. You just flip it on. Now, the key thing you want to think about with these, you can get them in stainless steel or glass, but a lot of them have a plastic lid to them. So what happens is even though it's glass or stainless steel and you think it's inert, it's not because it's boiling the steamed water is going to the lid. It's condensating there and then dripping down. This has actually been shown to precipitate bisphenol A back into your water. So you definitely don't want those. You want to make sure it's all glass or all stainless steel. The stovetop ones are a little bit easier to find that are all stainless steel. We have one by Le Crusette. We love it. And that's going to be something to heat up your water on a regular basis. If you are a tea drinking person, you want to make sure you got a good kettle. Now, what's going in that kettle also matters. And you want to find the right water filtration system. And everyone wants to know, 
I don't know what's the best kind. What should I get? And it really depends on where you live. You might be dealing with well water. You might have spring water. You might be using the municipal water. So the first step, and there's a full post about this on culinary nutrition. And if you go to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcasts and choose this episode, you'll find a link to the article about water filtration systems. But optimally, you get your water tested so you know what you want to filter out. We live right by the lake in Toronto, right near the water treatment center. And we chose for our home to get a dechlorinator on the entire house because when we had our water tested, it showed that we had the optimal level of chlorine in our water for a swimming pool. So you want to get your water tested. We put in the dechlorinator and then we have a reverse osmosis system in our kitchen. And a lot of people are concerned, like, but that takes out everything. True, but we are also eating a varied diet rich in minerals, rich in the essentials. So for us, this works. It feels good. We're feeling good. And that's what works for us. The gold standard is spring water. If you live near a spring and being able to fetch it and then maybe run it through a Berkey. But ultimately, you want to get some level of water filtration happening that has minimum contact with plastic. So you don't want to be pouring water out of your tap to sit in a plastic vessel before consuming it. And that's basically the main parameter that I would advise when it comes to water systems. Now, one of the most annoying things, I think, is when you have a drawer or a cupboard that's just cluttered with pots and pans. Yes. Right? You just want to get that one size and you're like clanging around and things are falling apart. So... All you really need is a good pan. Yes. You need a good roasting pan as well. Yeah. You need maybe uh, one or two pots, a small pot and a large pot. And I think that's it. Would you have anything to add to that? That's about it. Like we have three main pots that we use. Plus I have one large for making when I make chicken soup. And... The reason we're bringing this up is because you often see deals and sales at those big box stores like get your 18 piece, whatever it is. You don't need 18 pieces of cookware. You you likely only have four burners on your stove and one oven. Now, if you're really, you know, into cooking, you might have six burners and two ovens, but consider the stuff you actually need and want. And what you're going to want to do is consider those sizes when you replace your nonstick Teflon garbaggio pots and pans. Right. And Teflon has PFOA in it. Yes. Right. So there's a lot of hand companies that say PFOA free, but there are other nonstick chemicals that are used. One is called PTA. FE, which many companies use for nonstick right now. And we think it's not as harmful as Teflon PFOA, but the research isn't there. I've I've dove deep into this to try to find answers. They say it's more inert. So everyone's advertising Teflon free, PFOA free, but they're using this other nonstick chemical. So we stick with heavy stainless steel, good quality stainless steel. We use some ceramic like Le Creuset. Josh said Le Creuset. I think it's Le Creuset. I think it's oh, is it? en français. Ah. Uh, mais oui, mais oui, aujourd'hui. <laughs> à la gauche, à la droite. That's the extent of our French. <laughs> Zut alors. Zut alors. Okay. <laughs> Comment ça va? Ça va bien, merci. Et toi? Voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? <laughs> ah oui. Uh... That's it. We're out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, we were talking about cooking and pots and pans. Right. So, you want to get 
when you're replacing yours or getting new ones, invest in the key pieces you're actually going to use and get the best quality that fits your budget. And really great pots and pans are going to be the ones you can pass on generation to generation. Some of the brands that we love, we use 360 cookware. Salad Master is basically the gold, gold standard, and it's priced as if it is made of gold. But if you're going to invest, uh, that's a great one. I mentioned Le Creuset. There's also some solid glass cookware, and there's also some stoneware. Mm. And also uh, cast iron as well. And, yes. is a classic one to use. It becomes nonstick when you season it properly and use it properly, and it's never going to weather and become unusable. Right. And it works your biceps while you're cooking. <laughs> it sure it. does. It's very heavy. So those are, and again, we have a uh, we have a full post on the Culinary Nutrition blog about healthy and stable cookware options. So, so far we've talked about the blender. We've talked about the super peeler, a stainless steel kettle, your water system, having the right pots and pans for the job and no more, no extras. If there's anything you don't need, give it away. Happy, happy holidays, everybody. Happy birthday. Here's a pot I don't use anymore. That's why Megan and I have a six-month rule on some things in our home. If it's not seasonal and you haven't used it in six months, donate it. So currently I'm wearing a shirt that I don't think I've worn in a year. It's stuck <laughs> through the six-month rule, but now I've just bought it another six Well, it's more months. seasonal. <laughs> right. Sometimes clothes can be seasonal. <laughs> uh, so moving on to our next kitchen tool, a really good knife. Yeah. I mean, this is something you're using multiple times a day. You want to have fun with it. You want to enjoy it. You want it to have a good feel and you want it to be really sharp. Yeah. So knives are very personal. And the best thing you can do is go to a store and be able to hold different knives. And one of my favorite knives is like the, a cheap and cheerful knife from Ikea. It's light. It's easy for me to use. Um, I keep it sharp. It works great. Any trained chefs would be like, oh, Megan, that's so cute. That's so cute. <laughs> I also have Henkels. I have Wustoffs. You got a Bulat, which you love. It's also a beautiful knife. So finding that knife that feels good and natural in your hand, it should almost feel like an extension of your arm as you're using it. And don't think that, you know, if you and your partner and you have a child or a parent or different people are cooking, you all might have your own preferred knife or two knives. And again, you don't need a full matching set of knives. Get the knife you need that works for you for the purpose. And this rule applies to almost everything. Those sets make these companies lots of money, but there's a good chance you're probably going to need maybe a paring knife and a chef's knife. And that might be it if you're, you know, an everyday cook. You don't need eight different size knives. And you probably find naturally, if you actually paid attention to it, that you always go to the same knife. So anything you're not using, again, store it away for six months. And if you still haven't found you need it, then you can responsibly pass it along. And get it professionally sharpened every, you know, once or twice a year. It'll make a massive difference. Yeah. Yeah. And the final... Well, it's just one of many. But the other thing that, again, will be impactful and make it easy in the kitchen is... A cutting board. A good To go with the board. knife, yeah. So, well, first of all, the cutting board you choose actually helps to keep the knife sharp. We use a bamboo cutting board, which firstly is very thin. So yeah. it doesn't take up a lot of space in our cupboard. It's extremely durable. It's inert, like so it's healthy. Like if little teeny microscopic bits of that bamboo end up in our food, it's not a problem because it's a plant versus plastic cutting boards. Right. And it doesn't wear down the knife that much either. The worst sound is cutting on glass cutting boards. Oof. Where did glass oh. cutting boards or stone cutting boards 
It's the worst. Who invented that? Not me. So the other thing that you want to be mindful of, the reason why we love the bamboo is that they are light. And so they're also easy to clean well. You can easily put it right in the sink. You can give it a really good scrub once in a while, cover it in some sea salt as a general disinfectant on it, even with a little bit of lemon and clean that off. And what a lot of people do is they get these like big, fancy, heavy wooden cutting boards, which are very hard to clean, hard to dry out, and then have a propensity for developing mold in the creases. So your cutting board is the foundation for whatever it is you're cooking. You want to make sure it's something that is really, really easy to clean. Yeah, actually way back in the day when my good friend Jonathan Presco was starting out his catering business, I bought him a bamboo cutting board yeah, and he still has it to this day. I saw him on site not too long ago and this thing has just weathered so beautifully and it's in mint condition. I think your friend Jonathan Presco of JP Catering might be the winner of the most shout outs during this podcast. (laughs) I think he's at a total of two. (laughs) Okay, so to recap, some of our favorite kitchen tools that help create a healthy, fun, culinary nutrition kitchen that's easy to use is a a good blender that is within sight, used regularly, super peeler or a really good vegetable peeler, a stainless steel or plastic-free kettle, a water filtration system that is suitable to where you live, the right size pots and pans for the job and not keeping all the ones you don't use, so clearing that clutter, making sure your favorite knife is within reach and sharpened, And you have an easy-to-clean, easy-to-store cutting board in which to do your work on. Consider that like your painter's palette. You want to build your perfect kitchen slowly. It doesn't need to be an all-or-nothing endeavor. You want to add pieces as you need them, and you want to make sure you're clearing out the stuff that you realize you no longer need or is no longer serving your health goals. I think if I had to choose any one of those items as a starting point, I would say a, a good knife. Yeah. Right? Like when we go traveling, say we're in an Airbnb or somewhere yeah. where there's a kitchen, that's the one key thing that makes such a big difference. Yeah. Do they have a good sharp knife? Yeah. And a pan that's not all scratched up Teflon, but <laughs> we now travel with our own pots wherever possible. <laughs> all right. So the best thing to do is start with a really satisfying job because that is going to create an energy around what you're doing. What is one of your favorite? I love to amalgamate the flowers and grains and label those up. Yeah, so that they're nice and put away. Organizing your spices is also a great way to start because you're cleaning something out and you're creating a visual organization and a visual reminder that you are now upgrading your kitchen space to be a place you really want to be in. Essentially, you know, people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. You love that one. I do. And it it just illustrates that, you know, all health begins in the kitchen. Well, all health begins in the mind, but the physical part begins in the kitchen. The chef of the family is the doctor of the family. And we have to set up that space like a lab. Yeah. Right? If a lab's messy and we don't know where all the beakers and chemicals and everything are, we can't run those experiments. So in our nutrition lab, which we call the kitchen, when it's set up, 
to be a place that you enjoy being in, you're going to use it more. It just makes sense. Yeah. And something that I've done recently, we've been in our kitchen for about five years, is I moved some things around. We were always using the kitchen in the same way. And I was like, I needed a visual change. I moved some stuff around. I reorganized some cupboards. And it refreshed the space. So keeping that kitchen free of distractions, free of things that aren't serving you in there, and making it a bright clean, spacious. And spacious doesn't mean you have to have physical space, but being smart about how you organize things and how you use and move in this space and keeping it organized, putting your dishes away when they're dry and you're creating this blank slate that invites you to go in and create and know that the time you spend in your kitchen is some of the most valuable time you will spend every day for supporting your health, your family's health, filling up with love, nutrition, vibrancy. What we create in our kitchen infiltrates our cells and becomes us. So it is this symbiotic, dare I say sensual, because you're using all your senses, experience and place to be. So make it as enjoyable as possible. Amen, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. That was the gospel of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. The gospel of the kitchen from preacher Megan. I'm not preaching. I'm teaching. I'm sharing. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. And we have loads of resources and links to help you keep the nutrition abundant in your life. Please head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast to get access to all of the additional links and resources we shared in this episode. If you are ready to embrace the kitchen and learn to feel empowered in that space, consider joining me and hundreds of incredible like-minded people from around the world in the next run of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. We offer this program only once a year and we get started in September. Head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you again next time. Bye, everybody.